Some of you remember high school, right? Some of you, it was like last week. For some of us, it's been like centuries ago. But high school is one of those weird times in life. It's not as bad as middle school, of course. But, but it's one of those weird times where there's all these emotions that are there, right? And it's just like this roller coaster every single day. I mean, there's relational things that we're struggling with and, and, and issues that we have. There's, there's maybe for some of us spiritual issues that we're struggling with. And then it's just, just trying to do well in school. You know, we want to go to a good college and do well on our interest exams. And so we, we push ourselves when it comes to our schoolwork to do the best we can. Maybe for some of us, it's like, no, I don't want to, I don't want to go to college. I, I want to do some trade. And so we're trying to prepare for life after high school. But it's just like this emotional, emotional roller coaster. My senior year of high school, we, uh, our varsity basketball team had a, a game away from home, and as they would do every single time there was a game away, the girls' cheerleading squad would get in a 15-passenger van, and their director, their sponsor, would take them to the games. I can only imagine what most of the conversations were like within that van. I do know what one of those conversations were like because we heard about it, the guys did, a few days later. It seemed like one of the young ladies decided they should ask this question. They should do this research. And here was the question that they were asking. Which guys in the senior class would you date and which guys would you marry? And so they talked about almost every single guy that was in the senior class and asked the question, which ones would you date? Which ones would you marry? I think every one of my friends got the that's a guy I would date result. I didn't. I was the guy they said that they would marry. Some of you who are a little bit older, grandmotherly age, thank you. <laughs> do you know that's like the death knell in high school? I mean, guys, do you want to be the guy that every girl wants to marry but doesn't want to date? No! And I won that award from what I understand from that conversation. Um, the reality was I was pretty passive in high school. In fact, you may not believe this, but I was very much an introvert. I, I was always fearful of authority. I always wanted to do the right things. I hesitate to tell you this. My senior year, you know, they do the senior superlatives. I was voted the nicest guy, the senior class. Another death knell for me. Of course, marriage material, though. You know, if you're looking to be married when you're 17, 18 years old. As you can imagine, there were some emotions that I kind of um, built up from those moments. Now, I didn't cry about it, but, but it kind of made me think about who I was because for some reason it seemed like these wonderful young ladies who I was friends with, I was connected with, they always loved the rough and tough guys. Right, guys? If you were nice, you were marriage material, but if you weren't, if you were rough and tough, man, that's the guy you want to date. What does this have to do with our series called The Warrior? Well, before I get to explaining the connection there, if you haven't been here over the past few weeks, this is a series that we've been in for five weeks, and it's really a man series. It's connecting with men. We're trying to help men be the warriors that God has created us to be. And so over the past few weeks, we've talked about the warrior's cause. We've talked about the wounded warrior. We've talked about the passionate warrior. We've talked about the hesitant warrior. And today we're just going to talk about what does it look like for us just to be the warrior that God intends for men to be. Now, here's the cool thing. I've had many of you ladies come to me and like, man, that was great. That was great for me. And I'm glad that's happening. But we're trying to challenge our men to be the warriors that God intends for us to be. And so we finish this up today. Here's a question that connects back to, the, to my sad story in my past. You know, guys, are you passive or are you a fighter? 
Are you passive or are you a fighter? Now, I'm not talking about being rough and tough. I'm not talking about physical fighting, but are you willing to do what God wants us to do? And as we talked about that very first week, we said warriors have a cause to fight for, right? We said there's a cause that we should fight for. Are we fighting for that cause? Are we being passive in our lives? The very first week, we talked about the story of Nehemiah. We said that uh, the walls of Jerusalem had been destroyed, torn up. They They were crumbled to the ground. King Artaxerxes tells Nehemiah, you can go back to Jerusalem and you can rebuild those walls. And so he does. And when he gets there, he finds confusion. And they've been trying to rebuild the walls. And the enemies have come in. And they've beat them down. They've, they've torn the walls back down. They've been talking to them. Words have been changing the attitude of the people that are working. They've just basically given up. And yet Nehemiah comes in and he challenges that group of men that are there that are rebuilding. And here's what he says in Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 14. It says, remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. He said, you got a cause to fight for, and this is what that cause is. But the issue is, gentlemen, many times we abandon that cause. And this morning, let me share with you a couple of reasons we do that. The first one is a warrior abandons his cause because he becomes passive. A warrior abandons his cause because he becomes passive. In the Old Testament, the very first story we read about after the creation is Adam and Eve. And when we talk about that story, we, we talk about Eve and we, we talk about her sin. We talk about this sin of rebellion towards God that she wanted to be like God. And so she eats from that fruit. So the question is, what is Adam's sin? In Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, we read these words. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. You notice what it says there? Adam, who was with her. How many of us realize that? I mean, sometimes we hear that story, and we think Adam is somewhere else. He's out hanging out with his mom. He didn't have a mom, as you know the story a little bit, but he's hanging out with mom, or, or he's playing golf, and I'm sure there were some pretty pristine golf courses there in the Garden of Eden. Or he's watching the World Cup. I mean, he's busy doing something else. We have this picture that he's not even there. Adam's there. And so when I I read this story and this part of the story, I think to myself, I think Adam's sin is worse than Eve's. Because for Adam, he does two things. One, he rebels against God, just like Eve does. He eats of the fruit too. But he's present there. He's a part of this conversation. He's watching and he's listening. And in that moment where he does nothing, he's passive. I'm thinking to myself, this is the moment Adam could have stepped up as a man, as a warrior. And he could have said, hey, Eve, sounds good, but we know this is not what God intends for us. He he could have been a spiritual leader in that moment. He could have guided his wife. He could have stepped away with her. It's like, hey, this, this is not what God wants for us, but he doesn't. In that moment, Adam does nothing. He's passive, and in some ways, I feel like his sin That's way worse than the sin that we see with Eve. See, a passive man abandons his cause and turns his back on others. A passive man abandons his cause and turns his back on others. Um, I can sometimes be a passive man. I, I know that. Part of the reason is I don't like conflict. 
like, it's really hard for me to understand how people can't deal with conflict. I'm like, all right, you have a disagreement. Talk through it. Get somebody else to come in and help you out. And, and everything should be okay in like two hours. We should be good, right? And yet conflict, when it's in our lives, what is it? it just happens and it's there for days and months, maybe even years, and we never deal with it. I'm like, how come you can't deal with the conflict? I, I don't like conflict because for me that means I've got to jump into a moment in someone else's life because being a pastor, I found out I always have to deal with conflict. And, and when I do that, someone's going to get hurt, right? In fact, someone's going to get hurt worse than maybe they were at that moment because you're bringing truth into their life. You're saying, here's what's happening and so many times, those are people that I know, that I care about, that I love, that are special to me. And so bringing conflict into that situation just feels, feels like I'm adding on, like I'm piling on that pain and hurt. But I also know when I am passive, I think I'm turning my back on those individuals. When I'm passive in my relationships, I'm turning my back on the people who I care about and I love. When, when I'm passive, I am not the man who God has created me to be. And so gentlemen, when you think about who you are, how many times do you turn your back on someone else because you're passive and you've abandoned your cause? A warrior is not passive, but a warrior is one who also abandons his cause. If he does that, he can become abusive. A warrior who abandons his cause can become abusive. In the Old Testament, we have King Saul, who's the king of all, over, of all of Israel. And then we have David. And if you know a little bit about the story, you know that King Saul's been king for a little bit, and, and then all of a sudden David's been anointed, and he's this great warrior. And people are singing songs to David. And so the streets are just kind of filled with people singing songs about David and how great he is and how amazing he is and what an incredible warrior he is. But he's not king. Saul is the king. And so there's this tension that is there between these two men. In 1 Samuel chapter 19, verse 1, here's what we read. Saul told his son Jonathan, by the way, Jonathan is David's best friend, told his son Jonathan and all the attendants to kill David. These songs that he hears in the streets are starting to get to Saul. And so he hears them and he gets angry, he gets mad, he gets upset. And what does this all lead to? It leads to, now I need to kill David and get him off of, of, out of my way so I can be the king. Let's get on down to verse 9. It says, but an evil spirit from the Lord came on Saul as he was sitting in his house with his spear in his hand. While David was playing the lyre, Saul tried to pin him to the wall with his spear. But David eluded him. Saul drove the spear into the wall. That night, David made good his escape. I'm thinking to myself, that's probably a good move there, David. Get out as soon as you can. Saul's angry. He's upset. He's fearful of David. So what does he say? Okay, all this is happening. I need to get rid of David. We need to kill David. Verse 11, Saul sent men to David's house to watch it and to kill him in the morning. So he's got a plan now. He's got an action that he wants to take. Verse 15, then Saul sent the men back to see David. And told them, bring him up to me in his bed so that I may kill him. A little bit of a background to Saul. When God first chose him to be king, Saul actually wasn't a bad guy. I mean, he really was trying to do what God wanted him to do. He was trying to follow God. 
but he abandons his cause. He, he became more important than God. And so when he did that, what do we find? He becomes unruly, scary. He becomes abusive. You know, man, when we look at our life and it's not turning out like we expect it to, what's our response? Our response many times is to lash out. And to lash out specifically at the people that we care about, the people that we love. And so here's what we'll do, guys. We'll assess the relationship that we're in. Our wife, our fiance, our girlfriend. And if life's not going the way that we expect it to, at work mostly, because that's really our world, isn't it, guys? That's kind of what we, we hold up in our world. And so if things aren't going the way that we want to and the way that we expect within our job life, we lash out at home. We lash out with the people who are important to us. And so we'll look at this, this person in our life and, and we'll say things like, you're holding me back. You're holding me back. You're, you're keeping me from being who I truly can be. Or you nag too much or you spend too much money or I don't understand why anytime I want to go hang out with my buddies, you won't let me go do that. See, this is who we become, guys. When our life isn't meeting the expectations that we have, we lash out. We have abandoned our cause. We begin to use words and actions. Uh, We begin to try to control others in our life. And sometimes we become physically, emotionally, sexually abusive to those that we are called to love. And in the end, I don't think we're any different really than Saul. We've become like Saul. See, guys, again, a warrior is not called to be abusive. And a warrior is not called to be passive. Those should never define who we are. No, we should do everything that we can to be a warrior. Because that is who God has created us to be. That is who God has called us to be. So what does that look like for us? Well, let me give you two things I think this morning that can define who we should be as a warrior. The first one is this. A warrior has someone to protect. A warrior has someone to protect. My son Jake is 10 years old, and we don't do it as much as we used to, but we used to have this game, it was like, bring the pain. So if one of us said, hey, bring the pain, then it meant it was, it was fighting time, right? It was wrestling time. And so wherever we were, it was like, bring the pain. So we'd start fighting and wrestling. And I've beat him every single time, which has been kind of nice. I got a pretty good record. I'm guessing in about 10, 15 years, based on what doctors have said, he's going to take me, which is fine. But, um, but I want to amass as many victories as I can at the age that he is now. But we fight, and, and we're having fun with that. But sometimes I'll stop and like, hey, buddy, hey, you know, we're just playing around. But look, if something, somebody does this to you, here, here's a good way to handle that. Here, here's a good way to protect yourself. And, and then I remind him too, especially if I go on a trip, hey, buddy, you're, you're the man in the house now. Here's what I need you to do. I need you to protect your mom. I need you to protect your sisters. And, and then when we talk about school, I'm like, hey, dude, if you, you see something happening, then you need to jump in, jump in. I mean, your job is to protect other people. See, our job as warriors is to know that we have someone to protect. And yet many times, guys, we live for ourselves. But as we live for ourselves, we find there's no fulfillment in that, is there? We, we think there is, but there really, there really is no fulfillment in that because we're not protecting anyone. A warrior protects someone else. A warrior fights for someone else. Again, it goes back to Nehemiah chapter 4, 14. Nehemiah says, here's the deal. Your job is to protect your family, to protect your city, to protect your people, to protect your God. Notice Nehemiah doesn't go to this group of guys and it's like, hey guys, I got a, got a job opportunity for you. 
pays pretty good. Benefits are okay. Might be some chances for advancement in, in your role here, in your career. I mean, how many of you are in? He, he doesn't use that tack, does he? No, no, Nehemiah comes in and he says, here is your cause. He sells them on this cause. Your job is to protect other people. Your families, your wives, your kids, your friends, the city, your God. He calls them to protect someone else. Ooh. Sorry about that. Second, my iPad just blew up. Um, it really goes back to that first question that we asked that first week. What cause are you fighting for? What cause are you fighting for? And if you answered that question the very first week that we were here, gentlemen, you know what your cause is. And so that, that means who are we protecting? So whatever that cause was that hopefully you wrote down, that is who you're protecting. If you're married, you're protecting your wife. Right, that's built in protectee right there. You're doing everything you can, gentlemen, to protect your wife. Now you may be saying, my, my marriage is struggling. Fix it. Don't be passive. Don't be abusive. Protect it. Fight for it. Protect that cause, which means you may be protecting them from family members or, or, or friends or words or actions that have been, been pushed on them. Guys, your, your job is to protect your wife if you're married. A gentleman, if you have kids, your job is to protect your kids, which means you will do whatever it takes to fight for them. Now, that doesn't mean that if your kid's on 365 travel teams, you're fighting for them to be in the starting lineup, okay? That's not what I'm talking about. That's a whole nother series we can do a couple of months from now. Your job is to protect your kids, their well-being, their spiritual health, their emotional health, their physical health. Uh, Our family, Kara and I, have some specific rules for our kids as Hopefully many parents do. One of them has to do with things like the phone, you know. So, you know, a kid, one of our kids would come home in first grade. Hey, so-and-so's got a phone. Well, you're not getting one until this day. This is when we set it up for you. And so we try to protect our kids. And then when it's time for them to have a phone, we're like, hey, we're going we're gonna to monitor everything that you do on this phone. In fact, here's certain apps you can have and you can't have. And then some of you have jumped in like, hey, did you know your kid put this on? Thank you. We're going to take care of that. We're going to take that phone away for three months. I mean, but we want to protect our kids. And it's one of the ways that we can do that. Parents, are we protecting our kids? Sometimes we can be very passive with our children. We're called to protect our kids. And many times it's not even the kid or the family member or the person in our home. There's that child down the street. There's that kid who lives down the street from you that everybody in your neighborhood talks about. And you talk about them too. You talk about how bad they are and the bad decisions that they make. But maybe dad's not there. Mom pretty much non-existent and so this kid is just kind of trying to figure out life on their own instead of talking about them laughing at them being afraid of them maybe that's the person you're called to protect gentlemen maybe you need to go down and say hey i got a project why don't you come hang out with me hey hey, i've got some things that i'm working on why don't you come be a part of, of what i'm doing so we forget sometimes we can protect others too not just the people that live in our home but the ones down the street or maybe it's that single mom that single dad who works hard two jobs, three kids. They're just, they're just trying to survive, and they just need a little break. They, they just need somebody to jump in like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to protect you. I'm going to do everything I can to help you. Don't be the, the individual in your neighborhood who's talking about them. Make something happen. Because that's what a warrior does. A warrior protects others. They advocate for others. They serve others. 
Guys, who are you protecting? Or who in your circle do you need to begin to protect? Because a warrior has someone to protect. And then secondly, a warrior has a kingdom to advance. Passive warriors make nothing happen, do they? But a a true warrior, a warrior, they advance a kingdom. In the Old Testament, going back to David, we find that King David has these mighty warriors. It's some of my favorite descriptions in all of Scripture. There, there's two sets of these warriors. One's there, there's the three. And, and this is like his elite, specialist, black ops. Nobody really knows a whole lot. I mean, they're just kind of those quiet guys that go out and do exactly what they're supposed to do. And, and nobody really knows a whole lot about what's happening. But these are the elitist of the warriors that David has. There's three of these guys. And then he's got the 30. Now, there's actually probably 37, but the 30 sounds better than the 37, right? So they always just called them the 30. And so you got the 30. That's kind of that next tier down. But again, these are elite warriors too. These are incredible fighters. And so we read about their escapades and, and chronicles. We read about it in 2 Samuel. And in 2 Samuel chapter 23, verses 9 through 10, we read about this one individual who was part of the three. It says, next to him was Eleazar, son of Dodea, the Iohite. As one of the three mighty warriors, he was with David when they taunted the Philistines gathered at Pasdaman for battle. Then the Israelites retreated. But Eleazar stood his ground and struck down the Philistines till his hand grew tired and froze to the sword. The Lord brought about a great victory that day. The troops returned to Eleazar, but only to strip the dead. Can you imagine fighting so long and so hard that, that your hands are now stuck to the sword. See, Eleazar knew his cause. He, he knew his role. And what did he do? He fought for it. He fought to advance the kingdom. Gentlemen, what kind of kingdom will you build? What kind of kingdom are you building? Uh, if we're like most men... We're trying to build our own kingdom. It's focused on me. It's all about me. But that's not the kingdom that we are called to advance. We're called to advance the kingdom of God where we're not king. We're not the one sitting on the throne and think we're in charge. No, we're a warrior in this kingdom doing all we can to advance that kingdom for God. I love what Alan Redpath, the British pastor and author, once wrote. He says, before we can pray thy kingdom come, we have to first pray my kingdom go. We're great at building our own kingdom. We have our own little castle and it's got four bedrooms and five bathrooms and maybe there's a garage on it. And then around that we've got this moat and we've got our throne room and everything's perfect. This is a great place and everybody looks at us like, man, you've made it. You're doing amazing things. You're, You're incredible. You deserve all this. And we're like, yeah, I do. That's not the kingdom we are called to build. I, I, I think that's an easy kingdom to build because many of us have kind of bought into that world. We have too few men who are actually building the kingdom of God and advancing that kingdom. The very first week, we talked about some statistics. In the American church, on average, you will find that about 39% of the people who attend on a Sunday morning are male, 61% are female. That's changed since about the 50s or 60s where men used to actually attend church more than, than women. 
uh, we talked about some uh, research that was done in Switzerland where they looked at fathers and moms and they said if father didn't attend church at all but mom went to church regularly, one in 50 of their kids would attend church regularly as they became adults. Then they said, well, what if father, the, the dad goes to church every single week and mom doesn't ever go to church? What would happen then? They found that 40, 44% of those kids would end up going to church on a regular basis when they became adults. Another 31% would attend church somewhat or sometimes as adults. That's about 75%. Guys, we, we don't understand sometimes the impact that we have on the lives of people. And we're missing out. We're missing out on advancing the kingdom of God. And you know what? We've been called to do just that, to advance that kingdom. Ladies, you, again, you're amazing at that. In fact, if we look back at Scripture, and what we have found is that the ladies were some of Jesus' best supporters. Some of them were his major financial supporters. We look at the early church, and what do we find? We find that women are such an important part of that. They're, they're the backbone of the church then. And ladies, you're still the backbone of the church today. But guys, we need more men to step up as warriors and to say, hey, I am here to help advance the kingdom of God. Which means for some of us, we gotta let our kingdom go and let God's kingdom come. What are those next steps look for us, like for us gentlemen? If we want to be a warrior, here's the four things I would leave with you based on our series and today. The first one is know your cause. If you don't know your cause, you're aimless. You have no direction. What is your cause? What are you fighting for? And secondly, follow Jesus. This is so important that we learn to follow Jesus, that we let go of our passivity, that, that we let go of our kingdom, and we let God's kingdom come. Let Jesus be your king. Let Jesus be the leader of your life, the CEO of your life, the, the general of your life. Whatever it is, kind of terminology that, that connects best with you, let Jesus lead you and follow Jesus. Third thing I would say is protect your cause. It might be your spouse, it may be your kids, maybe your fiance. It may be the kid down the street. It may be a kid in another place, another nation. Know that cause and protect that cause. And then lastly, Advance the kingdom of God here on this earth. Gentlemen, we need more warriors. We need men to step up and, and take a stand for what's truly important. I, I look at our political climate now. I, I, I look at the world culturally in general. And we don't have enough men that have stepped up to advance the kingdom. What I see are a lot of men who have said, here's my kingdom and I'm going to build it. And this is about me and me only. We got enough of that in the world. And as we, I think, are well aware, that doesn't come out or play out very well over the long haul, does it? And we're not called to build our kingdom. We need men who can step up and say, no, I'm going to advance the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And you may be sitting there in your seats and thinking, well, I'm a nobody. My, my bank account's not that big. I'm a peon. I'm a nobody. No. Some of the greatest movements in our world's history have started with one person just saying, this is what I'm going to do. And if in this place we were to say, men, we're going to advance the kingdom of God, we can transform our families, our church, our community, and our world. 
We can do that. Yesterday morning, we had about 40, 45 guys that showed up for our first gathering of our uh, new men's ministry here at The Journey. It was just amazing to kind of hear the conversations that were going on and getting feedback. And God's going to do something cool with that. God's going to take that group of guys and is going to transform so many lives. But we have to be willing to step out and say, hey, I want to be that warrior. I want to do and be who God has created me to be. Or you can step back and look around and say, no, I'm going to build my kingdom. I'm going to build my castle and I'm going to put a moat around. It's going to have alligators and there's going to be guards there. And everybody's going to look at me and say, wow, look at the kingdom you've built. It's amazing. Like the walls of Jerusalem, sometime they're going to tumble down. When we advance the kingdom of God, that's eternal. That's way bigger than anything you and I do. And God can use us as warriors to transform the world. But we've got to make that choice, guys. We've got to take that first step forward and say, I'm in. This morning, gentlemen, I'm going to do something I haven't done in the year that I've been the lead guy here. I'm going to invite you to step forward and say, I want to be a warrior. I'm going to invite you this morning as we head into our communion time, I'm going to invite you to take a step and say, I want to advance the kingdom of God. I want to protect somebody. I don't want to be passive anymore. I don't want to be abusive anymore. I want to take this next step in my faith. Gentlemen, here's what I'm going to ask you to do today, okay? Again, it's going to be a little chaotic and crazy, but that's totally fine. Men like chaos. As we do every week, we're going to invite you to come to the front or the back to grab the bread and the juice. Gentlemen, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. As you do that this morning, if you're willing to step forward and say, I want to be that warrior, I'm going to invite you to come up here on stage. I, I hope it's packed out. There might be one guy who stands here with me. You know what? I'm going to pray over that guy to be the warrior that God has created him to be. My, my prayer is, is this stage is full and you can't even read the words on the screen because we're going to pray over you guys to be warriors, to let God transform us. Again, to be who we have been created to be. If you don't feel comfortable doing that, just stay in your seat. It's okay. It's not a problem at all. But I would love the opportunity this morning just to pray that God would lead us to be the warriors we're intended to be so that we can transform the world.